Friends, we have a, a, a treat. We have a special guest preacher today. Uh, the aforementioned Roger and Leanne are in town visiting, uh, and Roger's going to come preach for us. Let me give you a little, we've been giving his bio out on our email, but just in case you haven't read that, uh, Roger Chi grew up uh, in Zhengzhou, is that right? China? Hey, not too bad. Uh, near the birthplace of Kung Fu, I, I understand. Uh, he immigrated to the U.S. in 2007 at the age of 17. He did his undergrad and graduate school at the University of Missouri, and then feeling called to ministry, went and pursued uh, his Master's of Divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. He's married to Leanne, who is a native of Missouri. Uh, together they have two children, Bray and Luke. Uh, when Roger applied for our church planting uh, residency, uh, we were just so impressed with him. His, his humility, his humor, uh, and his passion to reach non-Christians with the gospel, especially through church planting. And so we're honored uh, for him to join in our ministry and honored for you to come preach to us today. So let's, wa let's welcome Roger up to come preach to us. Thank you, Pastor Matt, and thank you everyone to have, for having us here. Uh, it's a privilege to be with you. Um, so today, as you see here, our, our sermon comes from Psalm 24. Uh, let me read this uh, psalm to you, and we'll pray, we'll get into the sermon. Psalm 24, Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and denounce the word deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heart, uh, heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. Now the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. Now the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, as we come to you to worship you, as we come to you to receive your word. Please grant us your grace and presence as we dive into the song. Help us discern our hearts, our motives, as well as your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So this psalm, as you just heard, is about worship. Uh, David here, King David, is remembering when he brought the Ark of the Lord into Jerusalem. As you remember, the Ark of the Lord symbolized God's presence with His people. Whenever the Ark is with His people, His people knew that God is with them. He's blessing them. He's dwelling actually with, within their midst. It's a sign of blessing and a sign of grace from God. So David here is remembering the time when he finally was able to bring the Ark into Jerusalem, his capital city. Finally, God is dwelling with, with people, with his king. 
and his king on behalf of God is ruling his people. So David is rejoicing. He is worshiping God in the psalm. At the occasion when this happened, also thereafter, he's remembering this experience. He's worshiping and meditating on who God is and who he is in light of that. And that is what David is inviting us to do. But before we get into it, I want to um, say a word about worship. Uh, some of you may think worship is something we do on Sundays, which is totally right. Some of you, however, may think worship is something people in the past did. Now, worship doesn't re- is not really relevant to our lives today, that we don't worship anything. We believe in reason. We believe that there's nothing out there bigger than ourselves. There's nothing greater than what we see in front of us. Um, to you, if you believe that, I want to uh, present a um, different opinion from David Foster Wallace. As some of you know, he's a famous writer who later committed suicide, very unfortunately, very sad. He had given a uh, commencement speech in Kenyon College in 2005 uh, that is titled, This is Water. In this speech, he presents uh, the thesis that he makes a case that everybody worshiped, like you've seen, you have seen in the bulletin there, his quote, famous quote, that it's not a matter of whether we worship. The question is actually who or what we worship. He, he, he makes the case by uh, taking on a thought experiment. Think, uh, think that you have a long day of work or a school, and you're exhausted, just want to go, to go home and take it easy. But when you get home, you realize there's nothing in the fridge to eat. So you fight every urge in your body to just lay down and sleep, to get out and get in the car, drive to the grocery store, and get home. On the way home, traffic is bad that, that hour of the day. Uh, and you can't get home quick enough. Finally, you get home, it's 10 o'clock, you can only eat and go to bed. And you get really frustrated. And, and David Foster Wallace says, why are you frustrated? Why are you frustrated about things that you cannot control? The reason you're frustrated, he says, is because you, you have a worship problem. He says that you are putting yourself in the center of the universe. Everyone's in your way of getting to your home or getting to your food or getting to your bed. He uh, suggested a solution in his famous quote to this. Let me just read you this quote that you can, you can actually see in your bulletin. It's a very famous, it's very, very insightful. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is, work to, uh, is what to worship. The compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be Yahweh or the, or the uh, wicked mother goddess or the four noble truths or some in, invaluable set of ethical principles. He says, the, the compelling reason for this is that pretty much, pretty, much, pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start, start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already, David says. It has been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up, in, up front in daily consciousness. Do you hear what David Foster Wallace is saying? He's saying that 
our problem is not with um, so much what's outside of us, it's what's, what's inside of us. He says that we have a worship problem. We do not worship what or whom we ought to worship. That's why we experience so much anguish and anxiety in our lives. And David in this psalm is inviting us to look to the true object of worship that can actually cause you to flourish. As you worship God, you will not actually feel anxiety, but you have rest and peace. How is that so? So David invites us to look three, uh, in three steps. One is look outward first to God, to who he is as the creator and sustainer of, of the world. And then he says, let's look inside, look into your heart, look in who you are in light of what we just find about God. And then lastly, we look back outward to God again, but this time on a deeper level. And we'll find out what that is. So, so before that, though, um, I, I know that we, we tend to, people like us, tend to look inside first. But David says, let's not do that yet. We will. But let's look outward first. So if you look with me in verse 1 and 2 here in your bulletin, here David says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established upon the rivers. David here is making a very absolute claim of who God is. He's saying God is the creator of everything. You and I, this building, in, in, in a way, this whole world. Uh, when David used the word, um, uh, the earth and the world, he's encompassing not just this planet earth, but the cosmos, as you might think of the universe and everything you listen. He's saying that God, as you look outward, as you look out to the creation, you can actually discern the beauty and the wisdom of a creator. That actually a worldview that says there's nothing out there, everything's random, doesn't really fit the deepest need of our heart. We want to know there's a reason, there's a plan, and the world is going somewhere. And God is that creator and sustainer at the same time. Uh, David says that he established things and founded them. All the rivers um, in the Hebrew world, in the Old Testament world, rivers usually denote chaos. Uh, river always, uh, the people of, uh, of God, Israel, Israelites were fearful of rivers because they usually have some connotation of darkness, of um, chaotic presence. So what David says here is not only God had created everything, he created everything out of chaos into order. He is sustaining everything in order uh, by, his, by the power of his word. Now as you remember, we've been going through the book of Esther. Just like the God, uh, God in the book of Esther has his hidden hand behind the life of Esther, the life of Mordecai, the life of the kingdom, and your life, the God is also creator. He goes even further back. He has a hidden hand from the very beginning of time. He created and sustains everything. So what does that mean, though? What, what's the implication of that? If, if you can grant that there is a creator, that God is a creator, well, then that does mean one thing is that we are dependent upon God. We're dependent upon God for our every breath, uh, for the clothes we wear, for the jobs we hold, for our family, for, for their safety, for our future. Now some of you may say, well that's uncomfortable. I don't depend on anybody. I am my own person. I make my own way. I'm an American. And we Americans don't bow to anybody. We don't submit to anyone. We don't depend on anybody. We can make it. Uh, as you know, actually this idea of total independence is quite new in the history of human thought. Um, you know, as you know, some traditional cultures even today, is, of course in the past, 
have always recognized the importance of interdependence between people, between families, between societies. People have always come together to live together as a family, intergenerationally, you know, with grandparents, parents, children, even grandchildren. Uh, people's societies always depend on each other for defense uh, at wartime. People depend on each other for sustenance. You know, farmers have to provide. The military has to guard the gates. So throughout human history, people have always, always realized that we cannot make it alone. And as you know, David Foster Wallace says here, you can't make it alone either if you actually just look inside your heart and say, I don't depend on anybody. I know what I, what I want. But you know, as I know, that our hearts are, have conflicting desires. You do not have one desire, but many. And you can't always hold them all together. So we are conflicted on the inside. We're dependent upon others on the outside. So David, David here, the writer of the psalm, not David Foster Wallace, David here says that simply that because God is the creator, we depend on him. So as we worship, we know that we're not simply worshiping something abstract. We're worshiping the God who is very present with us. Now, with that in mind, we can look inward. Now we can look in our hearts. And David takes us in verse 3 uh, to uh, verse 6 here. He asks an important question. He says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? That may be an interesting question to you, but that's actually a question people ask at that time when they come to worship. They say, who is worthy, in other words, to worship God? Who is worthy to be in his presence? Who is worthy to behold the other creator, uh, other holdings of the creator, the sustainer of our lives? Who is worthy? David is asking, asking this question. Who is, they, who is worthy to stand in the holy place? And he gives you an answer here. In verse 4, he says, He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false, which is worship other idols other than God, does not swear deceitfully. Now, this is an interesting way of saying uh, that as we worship, the person who is worthy to worship, you might say, is a person who, is, who has total integrity. Uh, the clean hands and pure heart, and they know the inside out of our integrity, so your inside is the same as your outside. You say and do what you mean, and you're always honest. You're the same person in private and in public. You're the person that people can look at you like a transparent glass through which they can see your heart, and they know that you're trustworthy, and you're a person of love and faithfulness and grace. And that's the person David says is worthy to worship this great, magnificent God, this majestic creator of the universe. Now the question to us is, are we that person? Are you and I that person? And Marilyn Robinson, the famous writer of the Gilead series, the novelist, has said that our heart condition, if you look inward, can be described as warpedness. As you think of a, a, a you know, flat glass, if you look at these windows, they're flat. They, they reflect the exact image they want you to see. But imagine if you heat up the glass and make it warped, somehow it's distorted. So you, when you look at the glass, you don't really see what's on there or even yourself, you see a distorted image of everything. And that's what Marilyn Robinson is saying about our hearts. We are we were made in an image of God, but that image is distorted, is warped, because we had to walk away from God in the very beginning. So now when you look at our hearts, we're not the ones who are worthy to be in God's presence anymore. We're not the ones you can look at a beautiful glass of uh, pictures, but we are actually warped. We, inside of ourselves, our hearts are distorted in, in a way. And that pervades every part of us, not simply just our hearts in a way, but our behavior, our thoughts, and everything. So Marilyn Robinson, if she's right, and I think she is, and if David is right in the psalm to say, 
but you do need to be that kind of person to worship. Then how do we worship God then? You know, you might say to me, oh, you told us that God's creator, we need to worship, but then you said we can't worship. Then what? And then David says the important last step is to, as we look outward and look deeper. Uh, notice in verse 7 and verse 9, the, the same question is repeated. That the worshipers actually say, lift up your heads, O gates. Lift up your heads, O gates, so the king of glory may come in. And the king strong and mighty in battle may come in. So what they're doing here is they're asking the temple to open. So that the ark of the Lord can come in to rest at his place. So the, uh, the presence of the Lord, as we talked about in the beginning, might come in to dwell with his people in the temple. Now, how does that help us? How does that help us worship rightly then? We are to look to another warrior, another king, centuries later, also came into Jerusalem. The gates opened for him. People shouted, Hosanna. He rode in a humble donkey though, not as someone you think a king would do. And this is Jesus Christ riding into Jerusalem. What was, he, what was he there to do? What was Jesus going to Jerusalem to do with the shouts of praise and shouts of hope? He was going to die. He, was, he, he set his heart, uh, the Bible says, set his face like flint to Jerusalem to die as a king. You know, as he died on the cross, above his head wrote, King of Jews. Pilate wrote that to mock Jesus, but he didn't know he wrote truer words than he thought he could. Now the king of the universe, the king of the Jews, the king who actually created the beginning with God, had hung himself on the cross and died. Why would he die? Why would he have to, if he's a warrior king, as David says he is, why did he die? Because of the problem in our hearts. Because there is a battle going on, now between people, not between the good people and the bad people, not between nations, not between different races or ethnicities. No, the battle is within your heart, within my heart. There's a battle going on between light and darkness. There's a battle between life and death. And that battle can only be won if someone dies. It's either you or him. And Jesus says, I'm willingly going to the cross to die for you. I have won the battle for you. I have changed the warpness of your heart into the shining, beautiful glass because I have been, you might say, warped and shamed and humiliated on the cross in your place. So that you don't have to go there. You don't ever have to go there. You know, when he died, the, the earth was covered in darkness. You know, the temple lifted their gates and the veil was torn in two. The veil that veiled people from the presence of the, the ark. Jesus says that as I die, as I ride into Jerusalem to die for you, I am there to win the battle for you in your own heart so that you believe in me. You can approach God. You can go into the veil now. You can approach him in worship. You are worthy, not because of anything you've done, but because of what I have done, but because I am the person who deserves a blessing and righteousness from God, as you see here. He's the only person that did obey all the law and yet took the punishment as if he broke every, every single one of them. He's the only one, as you look to him, will not eat you alive. He gives you life. He's a, he's a river of living water giving you life. He will not eat you alive because he does not ask you to die for him. He died for you. Every other thing you worship wants you to die for them. They cannot die for you. Your career cannot die for you. Your family can't die for you. You can't even die for you. Only he can die for you. And he did. 
and he did. And because he did, you can worship him. Now, as we close, just a couple of implications. What, what does that mean? What practice does that mean? There are a couple of things. One is one preacher says that all of us, because we have a warped heart, but we also made the image of God, we all want to hear this, this voice. Well done, good and faithful servant. All of us want to hear that from God. All of, all of us want to know we're okay, we've done well. All of us, as we die, you hear a lot of stories about people die. They want to know they live a life worthy of living. And in Christ, that's pronounced to you right now if you believe in Him. You don't have to wait to the end of, the life, end of your life because He, the good and faithful servant, has died for you. And now in His righteousness, you are the good and faithful servant. God, you can hear God say every day to your heart, every day you wake up in the morning, well done, good and faithful servant. So you can rest as you go on your day. You can go on your life. You can rest. You don't have to trace every path of prayer, trace every uh, exciting uh, adventure because you can rest in Him. You can rest in Him knowing that you are be, you're okay, you will be okay. And secondly and lastly, uh, because Jesus died for you, because He has gave His life for you, all the love and grace, now you can love others without fear of rejection because He, he was rejected in your, in, in your place. He, re, he was rejected for you. You don't have to fear about darkness because the darkness has been cast out by the light. So now we can actually become a church not just for people in this room but for the people in the streets for Madison because we can look out into the world and say God has created this beautiful world that Jesus has died for. So now we as his image can go out with the love of Christ to love our neighbors, to reach out to Christians and non-Christians alike, to reach out to every race, every nation, every tongue, to proclaim the gospel because you have been changed from the inside out. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf so that we made with clean hands and pure heart to worship you in a worthy manner. Give us the rest and the grace that you can only you can give each day in Christ so that we may go out uh, in love and grace to the city. In Jesus' name, amen.